Man, great song, great job. You know, believing on Jesus gets you saved, but not everybody that believes on Jesus loves him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. What a privilege to have a Lord who wants to be loved and loved us, amen? Go ahead and get in your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We will be on page 556, Jeremiah chapter 1. Everything in the Bible, of course, is inspired by God, preserved for us. Uh, the words preserved for us through the centuries by his providential care. And though most of the New Testament is easier to understand and apply to us today, all of the Bible is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so we need all the scriptures. And though it is all inspired and all preserved, there are some places in the Bible that are more clear, uh, more important to us today as Americans living under grace rather than a Jew living in Israel under law. And I would call those things mountain peaks of the scripture. Not more preserved, not more inspired, but more applicable to us today. And we are just beginning a lengthy Sunday morning series on great texts, mountain top texts in the books Jeremiah, Isaiah, and the Gospel of John. Last Sunday morning, we talked about Mary's advice uh, to the servants to do whatever Jesus said. And though Mary was a woman of great faith, she was a sinner who needed salvation just like the rest of us. And when she was attending a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee, she gave us some great advice. She said, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And so we talked together about a couple of things that Jesus said. We talked about how he repeatedly said that we needed to believe and trust him for eternal life. We talked about how he told his disciples to one and love one another. We talked about how he warned his disciples of false prophets pretending to be sheep. And there are certainly a lot of other things about which uh, Jesus warned us and other things that he said, uh, but we focused on those three last week. This morning, we go back to the Old Testament and to the book of Jeremiah. Now, in the Old Testament, there are 16 books that are commonly called the prophets. Uh, of those 16 books, they are regularly divided into major prophets and minor prophets. Uh, they're not divided that way because of the importance of the content. They are divided that way because of the length of the letter. In other words, even though Malachi and Zechariah are uh, just short books, their content is not less important than the content of Jeremiah or Isaiah or Ezekiel or Daniel, which are considered to be the major prophets. Now, Jeremiah penned a long book, and he had a long ministry as a prophet. But much of his ministry and his life were very difficult. We sometimes have the mistaken idea that if you're doing what God called you to do and you're living right, then everything's going to be smooth in your life. Uh, Jeremiah's life was difficult. His ministry was difficult because of the time uh, for which God chose him. It was a difficult time. The first king he served under, a man named Josiah, was a good king, but all the other kings he served under, none of them did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. His ministry was difficult because God chose him to bring difficult messages. 
They were not difficult because of their complexity, though some are complex. They were difficult because they were not what people wanted to hear. And this was made especially difficult for Jeremiah because he would be what you and I would call a sensitive guy. Uh, And so him speaking truth uh, was very difficult for him uh, at times and remaining tenderhearted. His ministry and life was difficult because of the way he was treated. See, we want to be treated well, we want to be respected, we want to prosper in life when we do and say what is right, but, you know, that's not always the case. And Jeremiah did what was right, he said that was right, but he was treated very poorly uh, by everyone for the most part. His ministry was difficult because of what he had to watch. He not only prophesied about the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of Babylon, he watched as thousands of his Jewish brethren uh, starved to death. He watched as the people resorted to cannibalism. He watched as a city was taken and thousands of his uh, countrymen were killed by the sword and other thousands taken captive in Babylon. And if that were not enough, he watched as the city of God and the temple of God was destroyed and burned by the Babylonians. He had a difficult life, a difficult ministry. In fact, as we go through the book bearing his name, we will see both his great heart and his clear, bold pronouncements that God gave him to speak. Jeremiah represented God to a nation that was on the verge of being judged by God. Now, in our world today, there are many terrible effects that result from people believing the lie of evolution and atheism. You see, if evolution and atheism are true, there are no rewards or consequences after we die for how we lived. And people wrongly believing that there uh, are no eternal consequences, uh, for many of them choose to live violent and vicious and careless lives. If evolution and atheism is true, uh, there's no hope in our death or the death in anyone we love. And people with no hope in their death or the death of anyone they love, they are going to suffer to one degree or another from anxiety and depression. And one of the reasons there's so much of that in our culture is atheism and evolution. If evolution and atheism is true, there's no purpose to anyone's life. And there is absolutely no reason behind any of the suffering that we face in life. If evolution and atheism are are true, everything that happens is just random. It's just chance. It doesn't matter. There, There is no purpose. But people believing that there's no purpose to life is another reason so many people are depressed and anxious in our culture. In contrast to this devilish and humanistic lie that we evolved from particles to people and that there is no God, I have good news for you this morning. There is a God who created everything and he has a purpose for every life. I've never forgotten the sign I saw in a hospital that said something like this, even the shortest life has purpose and leaves footprints somewhere. If you're able to stand, if you would stand, please, this morning in honor of the Word of God. The title of my thought this morning is God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. Jeremiah chapter 1, 
We begin in the Word of God in verse 4. It says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee, deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand, and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, and to destroy, and to throw down, to build, and to plant. Thank you, might be seated. Jeremiah's ministry began in the 13th year of a king by the name of Josiah. Josiah was one of the best kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. Jo Josiah began to reign when he was only eight. He was just a child and obviously at eight years old and nine and ten, you're just doing what others are telling you to do. But by the time Josiah turned 16, the Bible describes him as beginning to seek the Lord God of David, his father. 16. By the way, I would to God that churches believed in the potential of teenagers like our church youth leaders do. The reason churches have entertainment programs for children and teenagers is because they do not believe in the potential of children or teenagers to actually be interested to believe and follow uh, the Bible, the words of God. I believe that teenagers and children, some of them will be interested in the Bible. And that some of them will uh, follow the Lord God, uh, even as a teenager. By the time Josiah was 20, he began to purge Jerusalem and the surrounding area of idolatry. By the time he was 30, he had purged the land of idolatry and took on the project of repairing the temple, which had basically been neglected by his unbelieving father, Ammon. Now, a year after... Josiah began to repair the temple, so he would have been 31 is then when Jeremiah began his ministry, and he describes himself at the time as being a child. In verse 6, then said I, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. Now, we're not specifically told how old Jeremiah was. Tradition says he was somewhere between 17 and 20, and a child compared to the size of of the task he had been given by his creator. By the way, he was also a child compared to the Jewish priesthood because the Jewish priesthood, no one served in the temple until they were 30 years old. Uh, Jeremiah's dad, Hilkiah, was a priest. And so compared to the age at which priests began to serve, he was also a child compared to that. But the key was not who was on the throne of Judah, the Key was not the revival beginning in the culture under Josiah's leadership. The key was not his age. The key was in verse 4 that he spoke God's words. Verse 4 says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying. See, the most important thing going on in America today is not in Columbus or Washington. The most important thing going on in America today is going on behind pulpits in churches where they still preach and teach the Word of God. 
See, the most important thing that any preacher or teacher does has nothing to do with their illustrations. It has nothing to do with their smooth delivery. It has nothing to do with their vocabulary or voice inflection. The most important thing that any preacher or teacher does is have a word from God. Listen, the world does not need more humanism or more political commentary in a wrapper, a nice ribbon-wrapped Christmas package on Sunday morning. What the world needs and what the people of God needs is the Word of God. God's plan for Jeremiah's life was not made when he was a teenager, when he began to seek after the Lord, or as a young adult, when he began to uh, purge Jerusalem of idolatry, or when he began to repair the temple. Uh, The plan for his life was made Before he was born, and that's what verse 5 says, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Notice he's not chosen for salvation before the womb. His task is chosen for him from before the womb. I hope you understand this morning, life does not begin when a human being passes through the birth canal. Life begins at conception in a mother's womb. See, God's plan for our life, though, it doesn't begin until we get saved. You see, getting saved just opens the door for a plan that God had all along for us before we were conceived in our mother's womb. I mean, understand that everything Jeremiah faced Uh, before he began to believe in the Lord, anything he'd been given mentally or physically or emotionally as a gift gift from God, it was all designed to prepare him to be a prophet unto the nations, the home into which he was born, the events that happened to him during childhood, the difficulties he faced as a teenager with his family and his friends and all of the foes and things that everyone has in those times in life, All of that was designed to prepare him for the task for which God had designed him. You know, maybe instead of lamenting our own difficulties or the difficulties our past or the difficulties our children are facing, maybe we ought to be seeking the purpose of God in allowing those events. Maybe that would change our perspective on them. Maybe instead of falling for the foolish lie that there is no God or that we are just random end of a series of chemical and genetic accidents, maybe we ought to begin to grasp that our creator has a purpose for our life. I can confidently say to everyone within the sound of my voice, our creator has a purpose for your life. Every victory, every defeat, Every difficulty, every moment of ease are all just there to shape us for his purpose. I hope you're looking for his purpose for your life. God, then he tries to give confidence to this young man of God by reminding him that he's not speaking for himself, he's speaking for God in verses 7 through 9, it says, But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words 
in thy mouth. I hope you understand, no one has a right to be 100% confident in what they are offering as advice unless it's from God's word. I mean, imagine how comforting it would be to Jeremiah to know that from the beginning that God had promised to deliver him as he spoke the words that God had put in his mouth. You ever just stopped and thought about it? It's good to know that this life is not all there is. It's good to know that if you're saved, God has promised never to leave you or forsake you. It's good to know that God has promised that his word would never return void. I mean, think about Jeremiah when he was placed in the stocks. And for those of you who don't pay any attention to history, you will be destined to repeat it. But stocks were a couple of pieces of wood that had a place for your head and arms. And basically, they would lift the top half. You'd put your head and your arms through there. They'd put that and they would clamp that down with some kind of a lock. And then people would publicly humiliate you. When Jeremiah was in the stocks, it would have been good for him to know that, you know, one way or another, God's going to deliver me from this. When Jeremiah was put in the dungeon and sunk in the muddy floor, it would have been good to know that God somehow, some way, would deliver him. When the city of Jerusalem was surrounded by the Babylonian army and starvation was prevailing in the city and everybody wondered where in the world they would get a bite of food for the next day, it would have been good for Jeremiah to know that God said one way or another, I'm going to deliver you. By the way, if you're a true Christian, a true child of God, and by the way, you don't become a Christian sitting in a church. You don't become a car sitting in a garage, and you don't become a Christian sitting in a church. If Christ is truly in your life, God will deliver you too. One way or another, from every trial and every difficulty that each of us inevitably face, and every ministry, including Jeremiah's, every ministry, every healthy work of God involved both rooting out and tearing down to prepare to build and plant. And that's what verse 10 says. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out. That's negative. To pull down. That's negative. To destroy. That's negative. To throw down. That's negative. Notice what happens when you've done all the negative. To build and to plant. There can be no planting of good seed until the ground has been torn down and prepared for the seed. No building can be built until the ground has been torn up and a good foundation laid upon which to build. Jeremiah had to preach hard against sin before the building of repentance and faith toward God. Jeremiah had to make clear the impending judgment at the hands of the Babylonians and the captivity before people would have a healthy fear of God. You may not like this, and it may sound good to those who are spiritually ignorant that I ought to come to church and it ought to be all positive, and if you think that, you have warped thinking. That is not the way the Old Testament prophets operated. That's not the way Jesus operated. That's not the way Paul operated. That's not the way life operates. All over this room would be people who would testify and say, listen, until I tore out this and got rid of that, I was not prepared to build anything that was good. But my attention this morning isn't drawn to that. 
My attention this morning is drawn to that, drawn to that mountaintop statement about God having purpose for Jeremiah's life in verse 5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, I set thee apart. I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So this morning, what I'd like to do for a few minutes is make some applications and observations about God having a purpose for each life before we were born. God has a purpose for your life. 2 Timothy chapter 1, please go there first. I still have my sinus affection, so uh, if I hack or sound weird, that's what's going on. I know you're a big Duke fan, even though we just lost at home to Pittsburgh that we just beat by 20 points 10 days ago, but you will not be able to share my Duke glass this morning with me. Here's number one. God's purpose for each life begins in Christ Jesus. God's purpose for each life begins in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 7. It says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Because of that, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Here it is. Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Did you see that? Before the world began, not according to our own works, God had a purpose for each of us in Christ Jesus. By the way, knowing God has a purpose for your life and knowing what that purpose is are two different things. Because God's ways are not our ways and because God has perfect knowledge of the future and we have only guesses at best, God's purpose for each life is not always clear to us when we're going through things. (laughs) And though not clear to us for a while, God's purpose was given to each of us before the world began and it was given to us in Christ Jesus. We did not earn our purpose because of our works. Our purpose was given to us in Christ Jesus without our works. And though you and I cannot know the purpose for every life, and at times may even struggle knowing our own purpose, be sure of this, our purpose begins in Christ Jesus. And though each life may last just a few weeks in their mother's womb, God had a purpose for their life. Though a life may be in what we would call its last hours and be of what we might describe as no use to society, if there is life there, God has purpose in that life. Though most of us would prefer to live a long life, you and I would be way better off to live well than to live long. Now, I'd prefer to live long and well, but if you have to choose. Here's the problem. Most human beings give little or no thought to the Creator's purpose for their life. 
They think their life belongs to them. They have their own plans for their own life. They have their own purpose for their own life. They have their own dreams for their own life. And they wonder why their life never just seems to resonate. I wasn't saved until uh, the age of 24 when I heard the gospel for the first time. But you know, prior to the age of 24, a lot of good things and bad things happened to me. But the difficulties and successes of my childhood and teen years were not my purpose. They prepared me for my purpose. My purpose had not yet begun. My successes and failures as a young adult, they prepared me for my purpose. But my purpose did not begin until I heard the gospel and by the grace of God responded and gave my life to the Lord Jesus. Now, I know none of you can relate to this, but prior to that, for the most part, I blamed all my difficulties on others. And I know none of you like, are like this also, but for the most part, any of the successes I had, I took full credit for those. But in reality, uh, all of my choices and the choices of the people around me, they were God, as only God can do, preparing me for my purpose that began in Christ Jesus. Now, when I was saved, I did not still know why I had been created. I did still not understood why I endured what I had. But listen, God all along had a plan, and he knew the day and hour I would come to Jesus Christ. He did not cause me to be saved. He invited me to be saved, just like he invites every human being at some point, just like he's inviting some of you this morning. Come to Christ. That's where your purpose begins. Hear me, your name be, may be on a plaque for designing a building. Your name be, may be in the record books of some school or sports team. You may have been well-known in our community, but if you have not come to Jesus Christ for salvation, you've not yet begun to live, and you've not begun to fill your true purpose. Your name, on the other hand, may be recorded down at the Butler County Sheriff's Office. It may be written on bathroom walls. It may be absent from the graduation record from your junior high school. But you have not begun to live or to fill your purpose until you come to Christ. And if you're not saved, I cannot think of a better time to come to Jesus than today. Trust him as your savior. Call up in the name of the Lord with a humble and repentant spirit Say something like this, God, be merciful to me as a sinner. Uh, God, oh Lord Jesus, I believe in you. Come in my life. Listen, the Bible is very clear. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible is very clear. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The Bible is very clear. For there is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. And that name is Jesus. If you would hear this morning the voice of the Savior as he cries out over the crowd and says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He's calling you this morning. Would you come to Christ? He's inviting you to repent. He's not inviting you to repeat a prayer and leave unchanged. He's inviting you to repent. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll likely not see bright lights or hear sirens, but you will know your heart is different if you've called upon Jesus with faith. If you have done that, the day you called upon Jesus just opened the door. 
to your purpose that was given you before the world began, not according to your works, your purpose in Christ. But it's not just that God's purpose for us began when we come to Jesus Christ for salvation. Go next, please, to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I said, first, everybody has a purpose, but that purpose begins in Christ Jesus. God gave that to you before the world began, and it begins in Christ. Here's number two. God's purpose for our life continues as we follow and obey Jesus in our life. Here's a lot of people, they kind of act as if salvation, oh, I trusted Jesus, I've got that settled, I'm going to do what I want. Now, that, salvation isn't the end, salvation is the beginning. That's what Jesus here says in John chapter 8 and verse 30. It says, as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. So you want to be a real disciple of Jesus indeed? That means truly, certainly. You want to be a truly, certainly a disciple of Jesus? You believe and then you continue in his word. See, God's purpose in our life is not necessarily manifested by us doing something people consider big like Jeremiah did. You ever thought about this? The thief on the cross did nothing but place his faith in Jesus, and yet for 2,000 years, he has been an encouragement to people in their last minute to have hope. Elizabeth's purpose was to be the mother of and raise John the Baptist and have that happen after decades of infertility. Japheth's purpose was to believe his father Noah's message of righteousness and for him and his wife to have enough faith to get in the ark so he could repopulate the earth. Abel's purpose in his short life without children was to defy his brother Cain and offer God a lamb by faith, and he being dead yet speaketh. How about an unnamed boy who gave his lunch to Jesus with which he fed 5,000 men? How about an unnamed little maid who had been taken captive instead of being bitter and angry said to Naaman, her Syrian captor, hey, there's a prophet in Israel. He can take care of you. How about the unnamed mother who raised Jeremiah to have a tender heart? How about the dad of Jeremiah whose name is Hilkiah and who raised his son to stand for truth no matter what it costs you? Listen, there was only one Jeremiah to the whole nation of the Jews, but there were hundreds of thousands of other people, each with an important purpose from God that was just less obvious to us today. See, we're not fulfilling God's purpose because the public recognizes us. In case you hadn't noticed, there's a lot of public recognition for things God says are ungodly have nothing to do with God's purpose. See, God's purpose for our life is manifested first as we just simply follow and obey Jesus with our life because then we become his disciples indeed. See, believing on Jesus secures eternal life, but learning and obeying what Jesus said makes us truly his disciples, and it's part of every one of us 
fulfilling God's purpose for our life. Here, no, no matter who you are, you're supposed to be the light in your circle of life. In case you hadn't noticed, most people in the circle of your life will never meet me. I'm not the light in, their, in, their, in your circle. You are. If you're familiar with Christian history, you know the name D.L. Moody, great evangelist. More than a million people walked down an aisle trusting Christ as he preached. Do you know what people are far less familiar with? A man by the name of Edward Kimball, who was a Sunday school teacher who went to the shoe store where D.L. Moody was working and led him to Christ. Our bookstore, our biographies of famous missionaries, among other things, like Amy Carmichael and Hudson Taylor and Annie Armstrong and William Carey, but you know what? We know nothing of who raised them, discipled them, prayed for them, on whose shoulders they stand. You see, we look too much through the lens, our own lens, uh, instead of God's lens. See, the lens of God begins with just by being a faithful follower of Jesus to learn and obey and grow in our faith. And we too often underestimate the importance of what has been done by others to build the people we admire. You know, I stand here this morning in public on the shoulders of parents who tried to teach me character. I didn't say I listened all the time. They tried. I stand here this morning on the shoulders of a wife who supports me, children who have embraced me, people over the course of years who work in the shadows and make things happen around here. And you have no idea who they even are. And yet I stand on their shoulders. Please don't assume the main purpose for my life is to stand here. It certainly is a purpose for my life. I don't think we are real clear on what our main purpose is. You know, the main purpose of my life might have just been to provide a secure and stable environment for Sharon Purdue so that she could mother our children. My main purpose in life, it might have been to give a gospel tract to my old boss's husband, and he got saved. My main purpose in life might have been to raise Caleb Miller. You don't even know him. My main purpose in life might have been, as a volunteer youth leader, to be Michael Jones' youth leader. My main purpose in life might have been a flight that I had late night and some lady sitting next to me and I'd prefer not to talk in the plane, but she just was obviously distressed and I spent about an hour talking to her about all the things that were going on in her life and tried to help her and she later sent me back an email because I'd given her a track and thing. See, see we, we, we got it all wrong because we looked through the wrong lens. My main purpose in life might be to, to be the grandfather to my grandchildren. To have me live in such a way that I don't have to talk about what I used to do because they've never seen me do anything.
you're saved. You simply just decide to learn about Jesus and obey him. (laughs) See, that is the path to finding God's purpose for your life. And if you're saved, will you trust that God has a purpose for you? That your life and a life of faithfulness and obedience to him are not in vain. Will you simply walk by faith and just simply try to be what Jesus designed each and every one of us to be? And if you and I do that, mark it down, be sure, without mistake, you will someday look back, whether in this life or in the next, and say, do you know what? I am so glad I found and filled God's purpose for my life. But it's not just that God's purpose for our life continues as we obey and follow Jesus. Lastly this morning, please go back in your Bible to 3 John. We'll be in chapter 1. Most of you didn't get it that, but that's okay. Say, preacher, I don't know why you're so sarcastic. Because I'm just transparent. I would never be effective trying to be something I'm not. I've told you multiple times, all I am is a sinner saved by the grace of God. I don't stand here because I'm better. I stand here because God called and gifted me to do what I'm doing. I've told you this before, and I mean it. There are a lot of you, I am 100% convinced, you're better people than I am. But this is part of my purpose. So lastly, this morning, life's greatest joy and fulfillment is finding and filling the purpose for which we were given life. It's an interesting thing that the Apostle John said in 3 John, verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. By the way, to the best of our knowledge, John, unlike Peter, they call him the first pope, he was married, duh, John, to the best of our knowledge, he had no wife. To the best of our knowledge, he had no biological family. His children were his children in the faith. Don't think for a moment, if it wasn't John's greatest joy to see his children walking in truth, that it is not the great joy of our Heavenly Father when his children walk in truth. To see his children fulfilling his plan instead of their own. To see his children looking for his purpose for their life instead of filling their bucket list. Say, so, well, were you mocking my bucket list? I don't even have a bucket list. If you want to have a bucket list, have a bucket list. But if number one on there is not finding and filling God's plan for your life, your bucket list is a mess. John's greatest joy did not come from his family, though family is a great joy to those who have one and that if it's in decent shape. John's greatest joy came from looking at the lives of those he taught, staying true to the faith that he had taught. Now, God placed joy in many things in life. Don't think for a moment that God wants to be our only joy. In fact, in Timothy, he says that God giveth us richly all things to enjoy. I feel bad for you who um, look at God as being an oppressive being. And you're like afraid to pray to him. You're afraid to be faithful to him. You're afraid to live the way he's taught you to live because in the back of your mind, you somehow think you'll be worse off 
following your loving Father in heaven. He gives us joy in lots of things. Now, he does want to be our chief joy. Listen, there's joy in a good marriage. There's joy in having children who become productive human beings, who get a job, who stay true to their family, who live some kind of faith. There's joy in working, joy in being a productive human being, joy in helping someone in need. There's joy in success. There's joy in vacation. There's joy in resting. There's joy in hobbies. There's joy in doing the Lord's work. Hey, there's joy in being the upper peninsula of Michigan on a clear, glassy lake early in the morning, and you throw your lure out there right next to the lily pad, and you twitch it a little, and that big bass comes up there and slams it. Man, that's good. There's joy in lots of places. But the greatest joy is to have people influenced by our faith continue in that faith. You see, that was John's purpose. And John's purpose brought him great joy. Do you realize God's purpose for you and me brings us great joy? I know what it's like to have people that you spent yourself on and taught forsake it all I know what it's like to have people you spent and taught and prayed for stay true to, tr true to Christ and the gospel but pretty much forsake all the faith and I do get some joy from that I have some other people But they haven't not just not forsaken Christ. They haven't just not forsaken the gospel. They have stayed in the faith in which they were taught. And can I just say, that really gives me joy. You realize the greatest legacy any of us leave has nothing to do with our property, our house, our 401k, or any of those things. It's how much influence for the faith that I left behind. By the way, I get great joy from a lot of you. I watch you make decisions that reflect your effort to walk in truth. Are you filling your purpose? The purpose for which our Creator gave you life. The purpose for which He gifted you the purpose for which he allowed you to go through what you went through. Listen, if you haven't come to Christ, you have not begun to fill your purpose. See, I've been a Baptist for 40 years. I don't care. Listen, there are going to be a lot of people in hell from Baptist pews and chairs. Probably, if Jesus came back right now, and all true believers went up in the cause to be with him, There'd be some of you left sitting here. You know, this morning, you can change that because your purpose begins in Christ. Would you come to him?
Or if you know him, if he's your savior, would you just decide to be a disciple indeed? Would you just decide to learn of him? Would you just decide to find out what he said? Would you just decide to sincerely try to do what, he's, what he asks us to do? Listen, that is the path to filling his purpose. Would you just decide that the things of God are going to be more important to you, that the greatest joy is not in what most of this world lives for. The greatest joy is not in what many of you focus so much on. The greatest joy is finding and filling the purpose for which God made you. Jeremiah's life was hard. But you know what? If we could look today in his casket, he'd have died with a smile. Because he did what God designed him to do. Amen? If you quietly stand.